0: The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. How many of you walked out the door today and went like, yes, finally, right? Am I the only, I'm, how many of you were like, every day for like the last four months, I've said a bad word when I walked out the door for the first time, like, are you kidding me right more of this and today like fall felt like it started right and we could breathe a little bit and some of you are like even the Longhorns fans like they feel like they've got a football team for the first time and like (laughs) since the Rose Bowl maybe I mean that was the all burnt orange at all the services people are and it's just that kind of season that feels like they're really good things happening and yet in the midst of all that I've, I've been wondering how much the last few years um, might have misinformed us. I think there are many of us that maybe are emerging out of a place that because of what's happened the last few years, we felt more like we might be able to make it through life alone, that, that maybe we didn't need people in that path. And my guess is that many of us are realizing, actually, I, I, need, some, I need my people. I, I need some people around me. Ye- yesterday I had, well, I had a couple of them. <laughs> I had a few parenting moments and uh, my son that's a little older that doesn't live with me. He still pops in from time to time, which is mostly his way to say like, I want to be fed and hugged on and loved on. And, and um, so I just give him a lot of it when he's there. But it's, it is that like, I want it, I don't want it. Anybody else aware of like, teenage boys, especially it's a dance you're doing, you know? And so I'm, I'm trying to like feed him and, ch- and like, he's bodybuilding now. I'm like, are you getting enough calories? Are you doing this? And the, his car was kind of overheating. I'm like, hey, are you sure you want to drive your car that far? And he, he pulled one of those where he was like, giving me a lot of pushback, right? It was one of those like, I know more about cars than you'll ever know, dad. Like I'm fine, you know? Like okay. So he took off and about 30 minutes later, the phone rang and it's like, hey, I'm on the side of 59. Uh, like, oh, how's all your knowledge working out for you, right? And it was one of those like, you know, you just do what dads do, right? And you drive down to 59 and you, he didn't have the money to pay the tow guy, right? And you pay the tow guy and you give him your car for a while and he's got something to drive. And, and I left and it was one of those parenting moments where you're like, that's a lot for no thank you at all, right? Any other parents can testify? You're just like, are you kidding me? And, um, and I was just in that grumbly space of like, this is, this sucks. This is, no, no, nobody appreciates blah, blah. And I got a phone call and it was just, hey, I probably should have really said thank you. I love you. And there was a little bit of like, hey, that alone thing I was trying to do, it didn't work out so good for me, right? Like, I, I need my dad, like, we need each other. And so today i want to invite you to what i believe is one of the simplest but most profound and important truths of what it means to be together because i'm telling you it's one thing to be together it's good to have neighbors but i'm telling you when you have a church When you have people that have committed to some things in their life that say, my life is about serving God and other people, and those people are planted in your life, when your life inevitably ends up on the side of the road in the ditch on 59 or someplace else, and spiritually and um, and in a real way, you need somebody to pull you out of that place, these are the people that you want on board. And I wanna invite you to consider over the last few weeks, we've been in a series, we're just going, who is Ecclesia? who are we? In the simplest way, it's the Greek word for church. We're trying to be as generic as we could be. Like, what does it mean just to be the church? It's the called out ones. It's God's people. And we talked over the last couple of weeks about what it means. Sean talked to you about what it meant to be the historical church. Last week, Mike Yeager talked to you about what it meant to be a local church with a local expression. And part of what that that means for us, you'll notice at Ecclesia, is that we're a church planted in a few places in the city. And you know what's unique? A, a A lot of churches have tried to adopt kind of a McDonald's mentality. It's, and actually McDonald's doesn't really do this anymore. If you go to Japan, they serve like sushi. If you go to Maine, they serve lobster rolls. So the McDonald's thing, the franchise thing, right? Chick-fil-A works everywhere. They just do the same thing everywhere, right? And, and the truth is like our Lindale campus, it's totally different than this, right? Totally different. Our West Side campus is really different. Like they're, as we plant in different places, there are different expressions. And today, I get to talk to you about what it means to be the global church. And I think. I get to pastor a church in the most perfect city to ever pastor a church because Houston, Texas is the most ethnically diverse city in the United States. And it allows for a diversity and a global understanding of the world that helps us really truly be the church. So I don't do this very often, but I'm gonna give you the thesis of the sermon right up front. And, And this is the thesis of it essentially is that it's diversity that makes us strong not uniformity, not homogeneity. You know, the funniest thing happens at Ecclesia on a somewhat regular basis. People will come in and Mitzi, the campus pastor here, will often ask people like, how'd you end up at Ecclesia, or what attracted you, or what? And you know what we hear more often than you would ever imagine? People go, "Uh, you know why I'm at Ecclesia? And they go, the chairs. It's the chairs. And somehow it's like these random misfit chairs and some people are just like, Ecclesia is cheap, so they just take any chair anybody will give them, <laughs> which is true. But it's, it's something that preaches as well, right? It's the sense that you're like, if all these misfit chairs can fit together, then maybe my misfit self could fit in a bit. And there's some practical truths, like we're just different, they're different sized booties. How many of you have a bigger booty than when you started coming to Ecclesia, you've had to move to a different chair <laughs> based on what's happening in your booty life, post-pandemic, right? And it just like, we're just fit different and they're different, different colors and different shapes and size. And that's what makes us awesome. I walk into a room now with all the same chairs and I just go boring, like just homogenous, just boring. There's nothing about it that draws me in. And in the midst of that, right, and all of that diversity, we've got to figure out, and this is the, the to, follow up with the thesis, this is the question I'm really asking you today, is can you personally, not just exist, but thrive in a church where not everybody lives or believes exactly what you believe? Can you thrive in a place where people are different and they disagree? Or do you need to be in a place where everybody's the same? I mean, that's how church used to be, in in the US especially, right? Migrants came over and if you were German, you went to the German Lutheran Church and you ate German Lutheran sausages and drank German Lutheran beer and you, you were, it was all, and you believe what German Lutherans believe, right? And I've invited you, I believe we've invited into a Christianity that what I've told you historically is that if you put an adjective in front of Christian or in front of church, you know what I think you did? If you're a blank Christian, you know what I think you did? You just negated the Christian part. If you're a conservative Christian, I don't know that you're a Christian because you're filtering Christianity through the lens of what your conservatism allows you to believe and you're gonna pick and choose what you want. If you're a liberal Christian, If you're in anything Christian, you then cease to actually be Christian because you know what Jesus is gonna do? He's gonna poke your political views in the eye. And he's gonna invite you to see something totally different, entirely different. And if you don't wanna do that, then you're not really following Jesus. If you wanna follow the conservative part of Jesus or the liberal part of Jesus. And so in the midst of all of that, we get to try to discover together, what does it look like to be a church? In John 17, a few weeks ago, as I talked about what it means to be missional, I read to you the beginning of this passage in John 17, and Jesus is praying for us. So when Jesus prays for us, it's important. And he prayed at the beginning, but he said, Father, don't take them out of the world. Leave them in the world. Then he said, while they're in the world, protect them with truth. He talks about the Bible, the word uh, of God being truth. And that we could live in the middle of the world. This is this clear call to say we're not supposed to create a Christian ghetto where we listen to Christian music and watch bad Christian films and eat Christian bread and Christian cereal. And we do all the Christian, that's not, he said that the light thrives because there's darkness, right? That we live in the world and yet are not a product of it. And then he goes on, and this is what he says at the end of the passage that we didn't read a few weeks ago. He says, I'm not asking solely for their benefit, talking about the disciples he was praying for. He says, this prayer is also for all the believers who will follow them and hear them speak. That's us. And he says, Father, now think about it. Jesus could have asked anything. May they be rich, may they be smart, may they be creative, may they be kind. He could have asked anything. This is what he said, Father, may they all be one. As you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us. For by this unity, the world will believe that you sent me. He says, when we're united, the whole rest of the world's going to be like, what? Those people? Together? Now, you got to know, my friend Greg Holder wrote a book about this called The Genius of One. And what it does is it chronicles beautifully and brilliantly that this is the theme recurring in Scripture over and over and over again. It starts with the most famous Jewish prayer in the Bible. Anybody know it? It's the Shema. Shema Israel, Elunai, Eloheinu, Elunai, Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Echad, it's one. So of all the things you can pray, right? When you get married, that's us say a husband and a wife, Ken and Johnny became one on Friday night. I got to officiate their wedding. Then we ate the best food and drank the best wine and danced really well. Because that's the way you get the glue to stick, right? And it says husband and wife become ikad; they become one. So Jesus could have prayed anything for us and he prayed that we would be one. So what does that mean? Does that mean we're uniform? No. In fact, part of what I love is you see in the beginning of scripture in Acts 16, it tells us about one of the first churches. It was a church in Philippi. Anybody remember this? In Acts 16, it talks about this early church and it tells us the first three members of the church you probably wouldn't remember this. It's almost like you'd skip over it. It just names them briefly. And the first one was a lady named Lydia. And what we know about Lydia is that she uh, had a business and she sold really expensive cloth. She was wealthy. Purple cloth, very expensive cloth from all over the world. She ran in high society. She was a one percenter. She lived in like the, the river oaks of that day, right? So Lydia is like, River Oaks, rich business chick. And then it tells us there was this girl, we don't know her name, it just called her a slave girl. She was a girl who'd been trafficked. And whatever gift she had, that gift was apparently connected to some of what she had been through. And when she came to faith, it was like a spirit was gone from her and she could no longer exactly do this thing that was making the master money. And so you had this girl who'd come to faith who'd been trafficked. Now, I just got back from Mexico City. It's a trip I want every Ecclesian to take at some point. And we sat in the safe house with these girls from seven to 15 that had been trafficked. And the trauma that they've been through, like the struggle, the worldview that comes with that is hard, right? So in the first church, you had this rich lady from River Oaks, this trafficking victim, and then this guy that they told us, history tells us, Uh, Tradition tells us that he was likely a former Roman soldier. He became then a prison guard. And when this beautiful thing happened in a prison and God showed up, he came to faith. He was like, I'm going to follow Jesus. Those are the first three people in the church, a middle-aged man from the military, a trafficking victim, and a rich woman. How many things do you think they agreed on? For real, have you had caffeine? How many things do you think they agreed on? Like two maybe, ever. I mean, almost nothing. Their life and experiences were totally different. And that's how the church started. So why would we get the idea that we all need to believe the exact same thing and look the same and have the same talking points and God forbid, vote the same way? Which is a hard question. Are you willing to worship with people that didn't vote for your party? It got really quiet, didn't it? How many of you are like me, like I'm just gonna vote for anybody that doesn't have an ad anymore because they're the stupidest things I've ever seen in the world. Oh my Lord, it makes me wanna punch myself in the face every time they come on, right? So, if we're to live that kind of life, I think it requires what I would say is a supernatural kind of humility. And I've got to get through this part really fast, which really is supposed to be the heart of the sermon. So uh, many years ago, our church, before we were really established as a church, um, we identified because of a, a book that I read and some uh, followings of a. Uh, an ancient figure in the church named Jeremiah Burroughs. He was born in 1599. The first book of his that I read is a really unique little book and it's called uh, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And in it, um, well, that book is totally separate than what we're talking about today, but it's a beautiful book. He describes it in the preface as it should be as enjoyable as a cocktail. And it really says Christians are the only people in the world that can be content whether they're rich or they're poor. They can be content whether they have power or they don't have power. They can be content whether they live here or there. Um, And in that, he invites us into a diversity that's based not on what we uh, proclaim. In fact, the, the saying over his door in Latin and in Greek was this. He basically said, difference of belief and unity of believers are not inconsistent. So in Ecclesia, let me tell you what we think this means. It means that when people come and ask us about our doctrinal statement, you can find it on our website. Historically, churches do doctrinal statements that are like super intricate and it's about saying everything that we believe so that we can find our people that believe all the same things. You're gonna read our doctrinal statement, you're gonna go, eh, wow. And then you're gonna go, I think they ripped that off, I've read that somewhere before. Because we did, it's called the Apostles' Creed. and. And this is what we believe. We stole it and we're proud of it and because it belongs to the church anyway. And this is what the Apostles' Creed said. I believe in God. So if you are a part of Ecclesia, these are the things that we, we hope that we all would agree on. The Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, that you believe God created the earth. In Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, he was conceived of the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried, and he descended to the dead. And on the Thursday, third day rose again. This is at the heart of what we believe. Many times people come in and go like, Ecclesia, like you're probably like Unitarian because of the chairs or something, right? And we, you know, there was an article about Ecclesia in the Houston Chronicle and early in our life. And the guy came and was like, I love the church, the coffee's good, people are nice, really young, a lot of energy and crowd. And then he goes, I hated it. They were super, super into Jesus. And he just said, essentially like, if they would stop being so into Jesus, I would go there and he said more people would go there because he thought somehow that being into jesus means we're exclusive what you when you actually study the life and the teachings of jesus you learn there is nobody more inclusive than jesus who actually loved everyone so we believe all those things about jesus The ascended into heaven, he was seated at the right hand of the Father that will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. That's not the Roman Catholic Church, that means the whole church and every expression all across the globe. The community of saints, and I love these last three. The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Now I gotta tell you, if you find people that agree on those last three things, keep, keep it up for a second. Just look at it, those last, forgiveness of sins. The body is resurrected and life everlasting. If you believe that you can be forgiven and other people can be forgiven when they've done wrong and that their failures don't define them, if you believe that your body will be resurrected and that you'll be reconnected to people that you love that have gone on and are no longer alive, what are you? You're a hopeful people. You got hope. You don't have to be afraid of anything. You're not afraid of sickness or death or poverty or any of it. You don't have to be afraid if you believe in those things. And so at our church, we've said, hey, we're not gonna agree on everything, but this is the heart of who we are. So Jeremiah Burroughs articulated what we often call as being, and he's a handsome guy too, with a little (laughs) soul patch. And and he articulated this belief that denominations could be really dangerous because it would divide people. And he said what we ought to be, and so we've described ourselves that way, is multi-denominational. What if we didn't belong to one group? We belong to everybody. What if we tried to work with everybody? So he had six things that I'm gonna to try to um, hit them really fast, cause I went too long in the first part. Let me give you these six truths from Jeremiah Burroughs and then I'm gonna to try to give you a quick application of ways that we can live them out. Here's the first, he says, doctrinal differences are inevitable. If you're a Christian, you need to know this. The Bible doesn't try to answer every question. It's not an answer book And because I'm a pastor. I'm not the Bible answer man. I'm not here to give you all the answers and the Bible doesn't pretend to give all the answers. I think except for about the most important things everything else if you ask ten Christians like what they believe of that you'd come up with 14 answers right they because they shift all the time and we shift and it's just it's gonna be different and he says doctrinal differences and second they're just they're inevitable and then he says doctrinal differences in secondary matters are still important you know what that means that means when you come to what you believe even though it's not this essential thing, you ought to stick to your conscience and what you believe. You ought to pray about what you believe. You ought to read the scripture. You ought to do research. And you ought to say, this is what I believe, and I'm going to try to live it out the best I can. Now, if somebody else believes different, that's fine as well. So here's, here's a good, for instance, at Ecclesia. Because the reality is, you can believe something and still decide you're not going to kill everyone who doesn't agree with you. Amen? Could we do like, you could have, you like, I believe this, I'm just not so sure of it that I'm going to destroy every other person on the planet, right? And historically, this is part of what the church missed it. So there were things that were secondary. So, for instance, at Ecclesia, um, in the history of the church, there were really two streams when it came to baptism. Some people thought that there's this covenant and you baptize a baby when they're young and you initiate them into the kingdom and the family, and then you educate and walk with them and then they're confirmed later. And there are others that would say, well, you could bring your baby and maybe you would dedicate or pray for them, but then they're gonna have their faith become their own at some point, and then you baptize them. Now, those are both legitimate ways to see the world. Um, It's in that place, right, that then we have to decide like, which is right. And at Ecclesia, you know what we've said? Yes, yes. I don't think we're going to get to heaven and Jesus can be like, well, there's a special place for the people that did the baby de- dedications, right? Like, there's not going to be a bigger mansion. It's not one of those things we really, like, they're kind of essentially at heart both the same thing, but they're just expressing it in different ways. And we've said, we're never going to fight over that. And whatever your, but if your family says we're going to baptize an infant, then you ought to do that. If you pray about it, and if your family says, we're gonna dedicate and let our kids decide when they're ready to be baptized, you ought to do that. It's still, Burroughs would say, important. Um, In Mere Christianity, um, C.S. Lewis talks about this, right? So he says, uh, the thing that's great about Mere Christianity, if you hadn't read it, is he's not trying to answer every question. He's like, this is the basics of Christianity. And he says, there's a bunch of things that Christians disagree on. And he says, some of it, I'm not gonna talk about. So this is the deal, imagine this you can believe things and still keep your mouth shut you don't have to tell everybody everything you believe you can just believe it inside of you and say nothing else c.s lewis said it this way he said about all these things we disagree on he said when i'm silent such silence need not mean that i myself am sitting on the fence sometimes i am there are questions and issues between christians at which i do not think we've been told the answer There's some to which I may never know the answer. One of the best things you can say when you're a Christian or especially when you're a pastor is, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But he says, if if I ask them in a better world, I might for all I know be answered as a far greater questioner was answered. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. There are a ton of things that you want the answer for and Jesus is literally like, why do you even care about that? Would you just follow me? And then he goes on and explains. He says, But there are other questions to which I'm definitely on one side of the fence and yet say nothing. For I was not trying to expound something I would call my religion, but to expound mere Christianity, right? And at the heart of it at Ecclesiastes, we want to say we want to stick to the heart of what real Christianity and mere Christianity is. Thirdly, he says, Differences can be useful. The reality is our diversity, our different experiences and our different likes and our different beliefs actually make us better. There's some of you here that don't like baseball. I don't understand you. I don't, know, I don't know what is wrong with you, but it's okay. Like you're gonna reach the other people, three or four of them that don't like baseball. Like, I'm going to be with the baseball people. And there's just different things we like, that we do different, that we do better. And that's all good. He said it's actually useful to be different. Fourthly, remember this. I'll leave it at that. No single structure represents Christ. There's not one church that does it. If you're around somebody that like our church is the church and everybody else, just walk away. Don't argue. Don't fight. Just walk away. The beauty of the church is that we're all different and we're all a part of one big body, right? Then he says, fifthly, he says, true unity is based on common gospel. And again, I'm just gonna give you a quick definition for that. That's good news for everyone. So if it's good news for some and not for others, it's not common gospel. Common gospel is good news for everyone. And it's expressed through cooperation, right? When we work together beautiful things happen when we put our hands to something come smoke meat at the harmony house barbecue come find a place to serve right get out in your neighborhood and pick up some trash and get to know some people make some food for somebody right when, you remember the old days when you used to move into a street and people would bring you food does that still happen in any of your neighborhoods and when it happens, like, it's, the good thing now is it doesn't happen as often. So when it happens, they're like, who are you? Like, what planet are you from? I baked you bread. Like, are you going to kill me? You're like, what? I don't. <laughs> no, I just baked you bread, right? Because that's what I do. And d- you've got an opportunity to do things that are really, when we cooperate, we put our hands to things. And he says, that cooperation when we work together, It destroys the thing that he said was most dangerous in the church, which is schism, it's separation. Schism is the opposite of unity, right? And Jesus prayed that we would be one. Hans Kuhn, the great Catholic theologian says it this way. He says, the coexistence of different churches. Some people look around and go, see the problem is there's just too many churches and they're all different. Kuhn says, no, the coexistence of different churches does not in itself jeopardize the unity of the church. Only the hostile confrontation endangers unity. In other words, though excluding and exclusive differences are harmful, our differences in and of themselves can now be seen as assets. There's this awful thing that can happen in the church where people have what we call a zero sum gain. They think if your church does well, that means ours doesn't. And in the kingdom, it doesn't work that way, right? So when God blesses the church down the street, when God blesses the little Filipino Baptist church over here, when the Roman Catholic church grows and expands in their influence and care for people, that's good for everyone. We're one big church. So lastly, let me just give you some, a couple of things you can do in light of this and then we'll head to communion. The first is that even if you're an Ecclesian and this is your church, would you do this? Would you look for ways to work with other churches? This is part of where our belief here can be really, really powerful. Because everybody in the world, and largely Christians, have operated in this world where they're like, I am going to look for the one thing we disagree on so I can put you in the corner and ignore you forever. And we actually believe the opposite. We'll go, we're gonna look for the one thing we do agree on and we're gonna work together on that, right? So I'm not Mormon, but if the Mormons wanna help us drill a water well in Honduras, we will do it together, right? I'm not Mormon, I don't get it. Like they own Pepsi, but they can't drink caffeine. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. But if they agree, like we can do, like let's do that, that we should do that. You're an ambassador. So wherever you are, what neighbor are you in? There are churches. Would you just check in on them? And hey, what can you do? I go to Ecclesia, but we do this Harmony House barbecue and you like, it's free meat. I mean, that's what God's about. And just invite people to be a part of things together. And then lastly, this, would, this is more about your posture. Would you be kind, curious, and teachable with those whom you know you disagree? The rest of the world right now, especially in this political climate, is just like, if you don't agree with me, you are evil and bad and wrong, and you should probably die. And instead, we could go, hey, you can disagree with me, and I might learn something from you if I was wise and curious enough to listen